Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Dean from the Rising Sun Podcast. Coming up, episode number four, Chris Norris. So a little bit about him. He's a uh, combat veteran with uh, Naval Special Warfare. Uh, he is a mindfulness and meditation practitioner, a Buddhist. Uh, recently retired from active duty and lives in Thailand. He's an ultramarathon runner. Uh, great conversation. We talked about everything from recovery from addiction and alcoholism to uh, his experiences with some of these ultra marathons, and then we even got into kind of the you know the, your brain and how meditation can actually uh, change the makeup of your brain. Um, so great conversation that we just had. That's coming up next. That's number four with Chris Norris. So stay tuned. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of DoD or any of its components. Take me to the countryside. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so, what's going on, man? Uh, living the dream over there in Thailand, huh? Yeah, man. Um, I'd say not much, but that's a lie. There's always a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, last time I saw you was, uh, shoot, what was it? August, September or something, right? It's been that long, huh? Retirement ceremony. I can't remember. It's not like it's been so long ago, but it feels like, yeah. it feels like a lifetime ago, really. I mean... It's crazy how much uh, we've done and, and, and been through since then. Yeah, but yeah, man. Strictly, man. Like, uh, I, you know, I, I'm keeping track of you like everybody else is. I think on, on you know, Facebook, social media, and uh, right. just, uh, just seeing all the, you know, the awesome exploits that you're having with your family and some of the stuff that you, uh, that you do, you know, whether it's the, the ultra that you, uh, that you yeah, attempted uh, recently. We'll talk about that. that yeah, that's, yeah. It's a crappy way to put it, man, but I, I, I do want to. It's okay. Get you to, to <laughs> talk about that at some point, but um, yeah, I think as we get started, Chris, do you mind just kind of like uh, I don't know, giving us the the, the five minute elevator speech on who Chris Norris is? Sure. Yeah, Chris Norris is the youngest of nine kids from Albany, New York, born to a working class family. Uh, joined the Navy in 1997 on a losing streak. <laughs> Yeah. It's going nowhere fast. Yeah. Decided to give it everything I had because I never gave anything I had to anything other than uh, getting beer and cigarettes. I gave a lot of uh, effort into that. Yeah. So I joined the Navy, man, and it turned my life around. Um, yeah, worked hard and it paid off. Uh, but as you know, we can get into more later, you know, I still had that monkey of uh, alcohol on my back. And it, uh, it took me down in 2007, and I've been in recovery and sober ever since. Married uh, a girl of my dreams from Thailand. Got two kids. Retired out of the Navy after 24 years. Living in Chiang Mai, Thailand now. Uh, doing wellness practices, meditation, mindfulness advisor. Um, getting into uh, cognitive fitness coaching and... Uh, Going to school to be a social worker right now with Arizona State University. So that's, that's awesome, a quick, that's a quick like, download. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's like I said, that's kind of quick and dirty of it. But, um, you know, I, I was, I guess we worked together um, here in Misawa uh, when you were uh, assigned here uh, just before your retirement. And um, mm -hmm. I was always impressed by 
just your positive attitude on things and your general um, just, you know, cheerful kind of outlook on life. And I think that that, um, you know, as we kind of start peeling the layers of this onion back a little bit, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive that you're able to have such a positive outlook on things, given some of the, uh, the real trials that you've, you've been through in your life. You know, I think you'll be the first one to admit that a lot of them were self-imposed, right? Um, a lot of those hardships that you experienced, you know, um, but yeah, yeah, I created a lot of my own suffering for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, so, uh, but you know, as I started um, having guests on, uh, I reached out to you way back, uh, you know, before I ever even, it, you know, uh, put out the first episode because the idea of this podcast, you know, the, the title of it is everything, right? So, the rising sun. And so, when I start thinking about people that, um, regardless of their age, you know, not to say you're old, bro, but like, regardless of their age, like, as, as they, you know, uh, progress through this life, that they continue to rise, they continue to improve, they continue to, um, you know, get better. And you kind of embody that, uh, you know, to me, right? Like I, you know, uh, I really respect you and admire you. And I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about how you've, you know, how you've made that, um, that long, you know, commitment to improvement. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, for sure. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the accolades. And uh, yeah, so I'm 48 years old, man. I don't even feel like I hit my peak yet. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even feel like I've hit like my peak in, in all uh, areas of my life. Like I'm in better shape now than I was uh, two years ago. And um, I feel like I can continue to improve upon my physical, mental and spiritual health, right. you know, as I get older. Um but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it certainly wasn't like that, you know, I think, yeah. I don't think my story is, is too uncommon, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, that come into the military, you know, looking for a way out of a bad situation. And that was my, that was my story. That's where it starts, you know, Right. and uh, I have no, you know, there's, it's not uncomfortable for me to talk about my past, you know, I look at it like, uh, it's kind of like the obstacle is the way, you know, mm -hmm. where I have to like really take a, a good look at everything that I've been through and all the stuff, you know, how I was uh, brought up and how I was acting and everything and, and figure out, you know, how, like, what, what, what the hell was going on there and what were the, the unmet needs and, and how to uh, fulfill that stuff today, you know? So, yeah, man, I mean, we can get into that. It's totally, yeah, it's like, uh, absolutely, man. I mean, I think that it's important to, you know, you hear so much that, you know, whether it's addiction or, or, um, you know, alcoholism, which were essentially the same thing, right. Um, yeah. that, you know, it's, it's based on, um, some trauma or pain or unresolved conflict that you have from early in your life. And that, you know, that, that the alcoholism or the addiction is just a, a way for you to, um, I don't know, kind of beat back that pain. I don't know. Is that, has that been your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It's like, um, I mean, the saying is that tra the trauma is the true gateway drug to, to any uh, disorder, you know, whether it be alcohol use disorder, substance use disorder, uh, any process addictions, whether it's overeating, you know, uh, sexual addictions, gambling, what have you. It's that trauma is the gateway into that. Um, I, you know, I look at my, my childhood and I think like, um, I'm like, I'm grateful that I can't be like, it was this moment, like when my uncle touched me in this way that, that screwed right. me all up. It's right. like, I don't have any of that, you know, it's like, but 
I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Sometimes maybe like I, I kind of laugh. I'm like, man, maybe I'm really so damaged that I don't realize how dysfunctional my upbringing was. And then like I talked to like some of my sisters and brothers and they're like, no, like, no, it, it was like it it wasn't good. Like, and I was like, oh, I didn't I thought it was, you know, I thought it was all right, you know. Yeah. But I was just, you know, being the youngest of nine kids, you got to figure. Uh, and now as being as old as I am, like I give my parents a lot of leeway, you know, like they were doing the best they, they could, you know, and it was yeah. a. A difficult situation you know and here like you know my, my mom had me when she was 41 you know and you figure by the time that I was really like running and, and starting to run and gun at like you know the ages of 15 16 or whatever years old like mm -hmm. they're tired out man you know they're working two jobs they got no they can't keep track of me you know and I was just I was wild out man I mean yeah. I was I was staying out all night partying when I was 12 13 years old you know like yeah. I was running the streets like I started like I can remember the first time that I got drunk, I was 11 years old, wow. you know, and yeah. and yeah, and I got, so I got, I stole liquor from my parents' liquor cabinet, um, and I, and I was trying to hook up with this girl named Shannon, and uh, I, was trying, <laughs> I was trying to get her intoxicated, because I knew that girls do things they regret when they're intoxicated, so I was trying to get her intoxicated, and then like, uh, there was a situation there where she liked somebody more than she liked me. I got a resentment. I drank all the liquor. I threw up all over myself. I passed out. I probably had alcohol poisoning. I was just a little dude at 11, you know? Right. And I got brought home by the police. So, like, that set the stage for my alcohol use disorder. Like, the very first time I got hammered, I threw up all over myself, got a resentment, got let down by the girl, and got brought home by the police. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, like it didn't really even get any better than that, but I, yeah. I kept... Trying to like it was like yeah when you're like, eleven or thirty like that is <laughs> right 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 it was much difference it was like um for me it was like al alcohol was this thing that was like it never truly worked like to do what I needed it to do but it almost worked every single time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so have you just returning to it over and over but um but, but, yeah, you know, I mean as we look at kind of your your uh, career path i mean i think you were probably what we would describe as uh kind of like a high functioning you know oh know, yeah right because you were a yeah. high achiever in everything you did right i mean throughout right, your right. career right right you got in a shadow box back here with all these medals and such and I, I look like a war hero and and i as i've discussed in other podcasts uh prior is that you know it's like sometimes I think that like, you know, I was able that I was achieving all that stuff to try to make up for some deficit inside myself where I was like, you know what, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, I'm at this high speed, low drag command, I'm doing all this great stuff, I'm working hard and working hard and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm a student in this and I, and I did this well and I outstanding on every PRT and so on and so forth because inside I think I'm the biggest piece of shit in the world. So on the outside, I got to like portray like, you know, that I got my shit together and look at me, I'm a rock star. Right. But when I go home at night to an empty house with the blinds closed and the lights turned off and I drinking myself into oblivion because I believe in my heart that, you know, I don't love myself and I'm a piece of shit. So I had to make up for that somehow or another. <laughs> um, you know, and that's, now that's I mean, probably common, right? That's probably yeah. uh, like a common a common thing, right? That yeah, yeah, some, yeah. I mean, I've noticed over the years that some of your highest performing, um, you know, people that work for you, sailors, um, you you got to really keep an eye on those folks because a lot of them are experiencing that same kind of um, mm -hmm. you know path, right? Where I'm, I'm crushed. We we even have a term for it, right? Like, man, he crushes it at work, but yeah. 
kind of worried about him when he goes home, you know, but man, when he's at work, he's killing it. Right. And uh, right. we, we even not so much now, but 10 years ago, we even kind of like valued that guy, right. That guy or gal like, yeah. Hey man, as long as they show up, walk across the brow, got their uniform on good and they go to work. Like I'm good, you know? Um, yeah. That was my story, man. It was like, as long as I could get to work and work hard, a lot of that stuff was, was swept under the rug, you know? And every now and again, it would show its ugly head. And I was the guy that like, I'd come in early and want to stay late because I had nothing to go home to, man. Like I, I didn't, I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a kids. I had nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So when it was like, Hey, there's, this needs to be done. Who wants to do it? I'd be like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do anything, man. So I was, I was at work you know, 14 hours a day sometimes, you know, yeah. I would get there at like six o'clock in the morning and work out until 10 o'clock in the morning and then work my ass off until six o'clock at night or whatever and go home, eat something and drink myself into oblivion and do it over again. So what was your, <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we hear about this thing, um, you know, everybody calls it rock bottom or I don't know, your awakening, your moment of truth. Like what, what was it for you where you were like, okay, like that's it, enough's enough. You know? Well, I had probably, I probably had hundreds of those where I was like, I was like, this is it, man. Fuck, I'm never doing this again. God damn it. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I fucking crashed my car and shit myself and fucking whatever, you know. And then yeah. by four o'clock that afternoon, I'd be like, ah, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. And <laughs> yeah. a couple beers would be nice. I'll just have a couple and I'm off to the races again. But, um, yeah, the time that I f was finally like got sick and tired of being sick and tired and just sick and tired of fucking pulling everything I built up back down on my head <clears throat> was uh, March 31st, 2007. So that's when uh, I was released from jail for, I got arrested, uh, driving while intoxicated. Um, the kicker is I was driving a government vehicle. <laughs> on orders working on a top secret project <laughs> uh so yeah yeah so life as i knew it was about to take a fucking sudden turn um yeah and uh so i was pretty much convinced that and rightfully so that my career was over that it, uh, once again everything i worked for for a decade i tore down on my head I was going to be fired from the place I was working. I was most likely going to get broken down in rank, which I did. I went from a senior E6, taking the chief's exam, to a junior E5, week one, day one. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, man. I mean, I was in jail just shaking like a leaf with my head in my hands. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I can't wait till they let me out of here because I'm going to kill myself when they do. I'm going to jump off this. I already had a plan, like, where I was in this bridge I was going to jump off of. Um, so I got released. Um, I actually still had my driver's license. They, I got brought back to the, the government vehicle that I was, I was driving, um, that was parked in a parking lot. And I got in that thing and I started driving towards that bridge, man. And, um, as I got closer to the bridge, I started thinking, you know, that, I don't know, I was, I was thinking I was going to drive up to, to the apex of the bridge, stop the car, get out and fucking jump. Right. Um, but I didn't. I kept going. <clears throat> um, I went down the other side of the bridge, went off a dirt road, uh, sat on the side of the river, and uh, as I say, I had a very long, deep, and serious conversation with myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thought to myself, I said to myself, you know, that no matter what happens, I'm like, I'm never going to drink again. Mm -hmm. I'm just never going to drink again, no matter what. And that no matter what that I thought at that time was like, my life sucked and it was over, right? I didn't realize that the no matter what today is like, hey, life is good and I still don't drink. 
right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's no, no matter what. Yeah, no matter what. Um, no matter what happens, just not going to drink, no matter what. And I'm just going to, I'm going to. I mean, and it wasn't that easy. It wasn't like I could just do that and voila, then I was, I was cured and I was good. I mean, I, I did go to rehab and, and I, and I was in 12 step fellowships for, you know, a decade and now I'm still participate in recovery. Um, but it's more of a Buddhist type recovery. Um, but yeah, so, uh, from there I did, I went to Capus Mass. I got busted down to rank. I went to rehab and, and two is like, I didn't even think about it at the time when I got busted down to rank, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to hit higher tenure. Like as an E5, you know, you can only stay in for so long. And my, my rate being a construction mechanic, it was like to pick up E6 as a construction mechanic was freaking tough, man. It took me a while to, to pick it up. So, but I, I made a commitment. I said, you know, like I, again, no matter what, I'm not going to drink. And also no matter what happens, I'm going to work my ass off. And that's just because that's my character and that's what I do. Like I work hard and that's it. And I don't, I'm like, I don't even care if I don't, even if I know that there's no way I'm ever going to pick up that next rank, I'm like, I'm going to walk out of here with my head held high and say, Hey, you gave it everything you got to the very last day. I was like, I was just going to work my ass off. So yeah, at the, the, the command, they, they kept me there. Um, surprisingly, um, I had a lot of leadership that spoke well of me and they kept me and they, they pretty much said, Hey, we're, we're not going to let you leave here until you make up the next rank. So I stayed there for another, uh, four years, wow. um, in the train, you know, I went back from an operational role where I was doing direct combat support down to like a, a more of logistics role for a year to make sure that I, you know, I had my shit together and I wasn't going to go off the rails. <laughs> yeah. And then I came back to an operational role and then I finished my time there in a training role where I was a training cadre for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I picked up rank and went back to the conventional forces, which was fucking rough. Yeah. So to go from like, you know, not having to shave every, every day, you know, to like, I got like, my haircut maybe once a month, you know, and I never wore a uniform unless I was like doing something operational, you know, I put on a uniform and no one even told you like what to wear. Like if I busted out of the, the team room with a freaking desert top on and woodland fucking bottoms, people would kind of be like, oh, well, that's a unique fucking style <laughs> choice. But okay, let's go, you know, but it, you know, and then the C- I go back to the regular CBs and they're like fucking seeing some some people I know and calling them by their first name. And they're like, hey, you can't do that here. And I was just like, whoa, this is, I got to learn how to iron my uniform and get haircuts and all that shit again. <laughs> learn how to be a sailor again. Yeah, say yes, chief, no chief and all that shit. I had to get, I basically had to get a haircut and check the watch bill, as we would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh what i hear a lot of times and i've you know i know a few people that have you know done some time with um you know nsw uh naval uh, special warfare and um one of the big things that they always talk about when they come back to conventional forces whether it's surface or or aviation or you know just a normal kind of uh mark one mod zero uh navy job right one of the things that they um struggle with is that everybody in nsw or 99 percent of the people in nsw are, are high performing, you know, um, high motivation, um, don't need a lot of guidance. Like everybody is, is, you know, uh, razor sharp. And then they come mm-hmm. back and it's not to say that, you know, the people that are in conventional are, are not sharp. It's just that they may not have that same like intrinsic motivation that a lot of people in NSW do. Um, did you experience some of that too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially at the command I was at, 
um, where it was, you know, everyone was screened extensively and interviewed and they were considered to be the top 10% in their field. <clears throat> so everyone there was super squared away and motivated. And I mean, you get every now and again, you get someone that didn't make it through the filters, you know, and uh, right. we're, we're not, we're not up to par, but for the most part, yeah, everybody was super motivated and yeah, it was just fire and forget, man. You know, right. for the most part, by the time I, you know, after a, being in there a couple of years, you pretty much, I figured out like what I needed to be doing all the time. And I just did it, you know, no one had to tell me what to do or when to do it. And you yeah. were given a lot of, a lot of artistic freedom, I guess, yeah, kind of yeah. the word, where it was like, as long as your work was getting done, no one, no one messed with you, you know, no, yeah. one, no one cared. What you you had doing. a pretty unique path into that that world, being a CB, yeah. right, a construction mechanic, and and I think mm -hmm. I I didn't understand um, kind of uh, that that was even a, a role for for CBs uh, to to be in that career field. Um, can can you walk us through just a little bit of that backstory? And yeah, yeah, man. That works out. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. So uh, 19, 1999, man, freaking. Um, Naval Special Warfare Development Group is coming around Gulfport, Mississippi and Homeport and they put it out at quarters and they say, hey, uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group's coming around, they're interviewing, they're looking for CBs, but we don't really know what they do, nobody knows anything about them and uh, they're, they're not looking for mechanics anyway or equipment operators and we got shit to do, so after quarters everyone just go to the yard, you know, and I was yeah. like, oh shit, like... Uh, NSWDGs here, like I know about them because I'm reading these Dick Marcinko books and shit. So, so I'm like, I'm like, man, I want to go check that out, you know. And at the time, at the time, like the Navy, like the CBs were great and stuff. And when I joined, like, and I was fucking super motivated, and I, and but I was like, I knew I wanted to do more, so I was looking to either go diver or then I was gonna go um, uh, swick. But mm -hmm. honestly, like, I, I'm still not a good swimmer, and I wasn't a good swimmer there. And so I was like, I don't really know. But then someone was like, hey, man, you should go to uh, NSWDG because they got this program there and so on and so forth. So anyway, it was kind of funny is how I got into that is I had to, like, weasel my way in because I told my chain of command. I was like, hey, I got a dental appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so fucking CM3 Norris was like, hey, I got a dental appointment I got to go to. And they're like, okay. And, you know, I, you know, and I was a hard charger, so no one really questioned it. Right. And I didn't have a dental appointment. Right. <laughs> so I tracked down and figured out where they were doing the interviews. And uh, I went there and I talked to a guy who was a chief. And uh, I knew right away this command was unique because they all had long hair and they were all wearing flight suits, <laughs> which was like, all right, a bunch of CBs wearing flight suits. This is this is this is kind of crazy. Yeah. Flight suits and they were wearing Adidas assault boots. Their boots were made by Adidas. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I told them I said, hey, I know you guys aren't looking for mechanics, but you know, I I'd, I'd really like an opportunity to sit down with you and talk to you about that command because I'm really interested in coming. And up there someday and uh they go who, who told you we're not looking for mechanics and uh, so i was like oh so-and-so and they're like that's all we're looking for we're here looking for mechanics and equipment operators who told you that so i ratted out dude i ratted out my entire chain of command yeah <laughs> yeah basically everybody said that you guys weren't looking for mechanics yeah yeah basically everybody anybody that i know that i don't like was saying that you guys will not look for mechanics and to stay the hell away from you guys because you're trouble yeah. But anyway, yeah, because I mean, I mean, and, and rightfully so. Like, what command wants someone to come in and be like, "Hey, we're coming in to take all your best people, and then we're going to leave." All right, cool, sounds great. And what, you're never going to see him again either. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, but anyway, man, it was like three days of of screening and interviewing, and uh, oh, and then the day after I told them that, I saw them come into the office, and they pulled all of my chain of command into a, the corner office of like the of the OIC and the and the fucking LCPO, and there was some yeah. yelling and our door slamming and shit, and then yeah. like they came out and they're like, hey Norris, you got an interview tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I'll never forget some of the interview questions, too, man. They asked me some yeah. crazy shit. They're yeah. like, oh, yeah, dude. They're like, how would you feel about being in a little rubber boat 500 miles offshore with nobody around for days on end? How would you feel about that? I was like, I wouldn't feel very good about it. But I'm like, do you guys actually do shit like that? I'm like, that doesn't sound safe. You know? And then they they asked me, they said, hey, how would you feel about working for someone that outrank or that you outrank? How would you feel as an E4 working for an E2? Are you okay with that? And uh, I told him, I said, hey, man, when I raised my right hand at MEPS and said I would obey the orders of those appointed over me, didn't say anything about rank. said those appointed over me. So if you appoint an E2 over me, I'll do what the fuck they say. They're like, God damn it, that was the best answer we ever heard, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I made it. So I I got on this fast track where I got picked up for NSWDG and I made E5, and I got sent to C school, like, all in the same week. Nice. And uh, I packed up all my stuff, and I moved from Gulfport to Virginia Beach, and, uh, and I, like, the hair on the back of my neck still stands up thinking about the day I walked in there, and there's this rumbling sound from the other side of these double doors, and we open it up, and we're into the boat bar, and there's these nice 40-foot high-speed boats, and I'm just yeah. like, oh, man, like, I'm in the right yeah, place, dude. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I fucking game on. So I was like, how do I, what do I got to do to drive those? And they're like, hold on, Rockstar. Like, start off with fucking grease and the Zerk fittings on the trailer first. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I did. So I, for like the three, for the first three years I was there, dude, I just busted my ass. And I really, it really was like that. It was like, you're not touching those boats. Hell, you ain't even touching the trailer. You're going to go work over in the truck shop for a year. You're going to work on the trucks that, that pull these boats to the to the pier. Right. And that's what I did, man. It was crawl, walk, run. And uh, I was super dedicated and motivated. And I fucking worked my tail off to, to get to a point where every now and again, every few years, and I don't know if they still do it, they would they – would, take a mechanic a couple mechanics and say hey we're going to send you through a selection and training course to drive those boats and jump out of those planes and shoot the guns and work the comms and someday perhaps be um tad to a joint task force and go down range and be a direct combat support for navy seals and yeah. that's what i did so in 2003 i went through that process and and in 2004 i i deployed for my second time in afghanistan and had multiple deployments after that, doing direct combat support with the SEALs, and uh, did some stuff off the coast of Somalia too, working with the pirates. And, uh, yeah. By working with, I mean killing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, man, it was a uh, it was a good life. It was a lot of fun. I was really grateful to have all those opportunities. Um, but yeah, so it's really a unique experience. I think there's really only been about twenty. CB mechanics in the history of the Navy that have gone through and done that stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah that's amazing, it's cool. Man. So, I, you know, let's talk about your, your kind of, uh, I don't even know if we call it fitness habits or if we call it your fitness obsession. Like, because uh, <laughs> I think at this point it is a bit of an obsession. 
not in a bad way. Um, it's okay. But did that kind of start? Um, because I know that you also uh, uh, work with a, a nonprofit called Addict to Athlete. Um, yeah. And, you know, did that kind of start in your team days, or or has that happened later in life, where you really kind of got obsessed with the running and, and some of the ultra marathons and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I did. So I don't know. I was always in a decent shape growing up, but it was certainly not high on my list of priorities. Like I could run real fast, especially like the police were chasing or something and I could hop <laughs> fences and shit, you know, and I could yeah. duck dive and do all this stuff that we had to yeah. do yeah. <laughs> as, as delinquents. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I didn't really take very good care of myself. I, I used to smoke like two packs a day, you know, like I was yeah. not, uh, yeah. And I could still, but I could still like bust out a nine minute mile and a half if I had to. Right. Um, damn near fucking kill me i'd be coughing for the next week but yeah. yeah so my fitness stuff though like again back to nswdg i i i really got into it hard when i knew i was preparing for for the job that i wanted um and then once i made it back to the conventional forces it became something else because it really became a therapeutic thing where on my first you know my first command uh, deployable command back was uh, Naval Mobile Construction Battalion 5. Mm -hmm. And they decided to deploy me to San Clemente Island, which is right off the coast of California. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a deployment, dude. We literally got on a plane at Point Magoo, and it was like we took off, and 20 minutes later we landed. We're like, hey, we're on deployment now. <laughs> okay. But yeah, dude, like it sounds all good. Like it, like there's days when I, you think like, oh man, I wish I could just get away and go to a deserted island. And that sounds great until you're actually on a deserted island and it starts yeah. to suck. Right. And I was out there for a while. Yeah. And then like, there seemed like there was nothing to do in the off time other than drink and fish. So I certainly, so as I made that commitment back in 2007, I was never going to drink again. I stuck to it and I didn't really want to fish either. So <laughs> I decided, uh, Hey, I'm going to order a pair of running shoes and I'm going to train for a marathon. And then, um, and that, that's what kind of like kept me out. It, it gave me something to do. It gave me something to be disciplined for. It gave me something to train for. It gave me something to prepare for. And it reminded me of like what I was used to in NSW where I was like doing workups and training. Mm -hmm. And then my big mission or my deployment was going to be that marathon. Right. And then there was a the recovery afterwards. And then what am I training for next? You know? And, and so, yeah, man, it, I mean, running, it, it had saved my life in a lot of ways and it, and it Chain, like it just it's been so beneficial for me you know mentally physically and spiritually you know like i get out there at you know the crack of dawn and in the and up in the mountains and places where a lot of people have never seen you know and and see some amazing amazing shit man some really super spiritual stuff out there so but it really is the the preparation the training the discipline of it all and then the the actual mission the race and then the recovery afterwards that that i'm really just i get so jazzed about so yeah from that marathon in which uh my very first marathon trail marathon i finished fourth you know so i was like all right well i might be pretty good at this you know <laughs> and then i i saw I, I immediately knew like i want to go farther like it sounds crazy but i saw videos on youtube uh, particularly a movie called Western Time by Billy Yang. That's been like, uh, that was one of the most inspirational films I saw. And uh, I saw in that movie and I saw people doing the Western States 100. 
And I, at the time, I was like, oh, wait, they go, they run 100 miles? I was like, man, I wonder how many days they do that in. It's like, no, dude, they're doing that in, like, less than 24 hours. Like, they're going nonstop. Like, what? <laughs> so, so when I saw that and I saw, like, the suffering that they were, that they were um, going through and, and pushing through and making it through in these dark places they were going to and, and still moving forward, um, somewhere in my brain it clicked. I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to see what that's all about. I want to see if I can do that, too. So, um, yeah, I went from a marathon to a 50K, you know, a few months later, and then to a 50 miler to a 100K to a, I did the 100 miler in Japan, and and then uh, I just attempted a 100K. We can, we can talk about that. It's fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, I actually do want to talk about it because okay. I, I, I really appreciated the way that you broke it down, um, you know, and, and this this was not surprising to me because I know you, right, and and in the way that you were very critical but also not um i don't know mad at yourself you're just like but you were very matter of fact in like where maybe you could have prepared better and, and i thought the assessment of, of how you did was like great right because if we could all if you could take that and apply it to like i don't know some job that you did or some relationship mm -hmm. that you might have screwed up right like if you can do that kind of self-assessment thing um then that's important right so yeah if you yeah. Don't through it yeah yeah the yeah so yeah I give the after action report so um so what we so what i was trying to do here <laughs> is i was trying to run a 100 kilometer race in in the island of Koh shang in, in thailand um and the race um <clears throat> i'll talk about some things i couldn't control but i'm not going to talk about that too much but the race was uh normally not done at this time of year so it was done in march this year because of covid had screwed up the scheduling and that is known like march and april are the hottest times of year in, in thailand so right there like we're already kind of screwing ourselves then for some reason they altered the course too and it had like giant sections of road where you're out just exposed no shade and it's it's in the it's in the mid 90s and it's 90 percent humidity and it's like i'm like I feel like I'm on fire. It's so hot out there. Um, so there was a there was a quite a number of people that uh, that pulled a DNF, which is a did not finish. Um, but you know, I at least I didn't get a DNS, which is a did not start. Yeah. <laughs> so I started the damn thing. I just couldn't finish it. My body just it, it just wasn't wasn't gonna happen. Um, and as you said, the the breakdown was like that. It was it was all my fault. I mean, I take complete ownership of it. And I really like when I talk about it, I only want to talk about the shit I could control. And then I only really want to think about like why I didn't control it better. And, you know, as I broke down, it's it was all ego, man. Like I thought like, hey, I've been training for whatever, seven years and I, and I can rest on my laurels and I, I don't have to do all those long runs that I thought I had to do. And, and I'm busy because I just moved to Thailand and I got this going on. I got immigration going on. I got college going on. I got the X, Y, and Z going on. I came up with all these fucking excuses of why I wasn't getting up and doing the runs when I should have been doing the runs. Mm -hmm. And then I also thought like, it's just craziness, but I was like, man, you know, in order to stay lighter, I'm not going to carry as much water <laughs> and I'm just going to like fill up every aid station. Um, and I'm not going to carry like a, a camelback bladder and shit like that. So I didn't. So I wasn't, so I wasn't hydrating enough. I didn't do the research of what they would have at the aid station. So I thought they were going to have like regular aid station shit, like right. potato chips you know, and M&Ms and goose and gels and all that shit. No, it's fucking 90 goddamn degrees outside. You show up at the aid station. Well, you want a fucking bowl of soup? 
I don't want hot fucking soup. Motherfucker. I want some ice cream or something right now, right? <laughs> so they had like fucking soup and, and, and rice and eggs and like it was just regular food, man. Like it was just regular two like two different dishes of regular food at the aid stations. And so I wasn't able to like get the nutrition I thought I was needed and I just so I wasn't eating enough, I wasn't drinking enough, and then I started going too fast and at like mile twenty I started to pick up the pace a little bit and uh went from like fifty fifth to thirtieth in, you know, less than ten miles and then I was delusional thinking that I could keep pushing and make it up into like the top ten or something. But um and everything was going just fine until it wasn't going fine. <laughs> So I went from like, hey, everything's all right, to all of a sudden it was like, and like just energy zapped. And then I'm like going from like I was running to like just walking, zombie walking, stomping through the woods. And uh, then one of my flasks, which is one of my like the collapsible bottles, the seam broke. So I lost a bunch of water. And then I started thinking, hey, oh, I'm like, I miscalculated the distance to the aid station, so I started thinking like, hey, I think I hear the aid station around the corner. So I slammed a bunch of my water, and I came around the corner, there's no aid station. And it turns out like I had like another three or four miles of crazy jungle climbing and in and out of rivers, and it was just, it was a really intense uh, course. It was more like an obstacle course than it was really a trail run in places. So anyway, I started like, <clears throat> started getting real dizzy started to uh stop sweating which concerned me so i was probably getting going from like you know heat exhaustion to like maybe touching on heat stroke and just started spinning and getting real dizzy and at the time where i was spinning and getting dizzy i was on this crazy like rock face that had a rope coming down it and it was literally like climbing up like a dry waterfall and i was like holy shit like i'm gonna i'm gonna peel off this thing and smack my head and be in the bushes and i'm like i haven't seen anybody in quite some time and who the hell knows when anyone's gonna find me i was like so i started thinking about saving my life at that point so i went back down the trail and i there was a shack on this rubber tree plantation and i and i went up to that and and made my way through the barking guard dogs and there was a a a lady in there with her kids and um i was just like nom 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 which is water so she gave me water and actually right there, like that, in all honesty, like that disqualified me right there because I was taking aid outside of aid stations. Sure. <clears throat> so, it, you know, even if I felt better after she gave me that water, I still really could, I couldn't morally continue on. Yeah. So I took the water, uh, so another runner came past, uh, gave me a salt tab. I took the water, I took the salt tab. The lady gave me some like smelling salt stuff too. And then I literally, she put down a black tarp on the ground and like a, a nasty uh, blanket. And I was, I didn't care. I laid on that. I put my feet up on a plastic jug and I got reception on my cell phone. So I called in for medevac and uh, <laughs> my wife came with the SUV and, and got me out of there and I dropped from the course and uh so anyway, that's the first time I ever DNF'd, and I made the uh, commitment that I was going to go back and finish it, so I actually registered for next year's race last there night. Go. There you go. I like it. I'm going back, and uh, it's <laughs> going to be in January of 2023. I'm going back to complete the 100-kilometer distance, and I'll go back smarter than I did. And uh, they changed some of the requirements, too. I don't know if it's because of dumbasses like me, but they made it so you have to carry three liters of water now. Okay. Where they said before, it was like you had to carry at least a liter and a half. Now they're like, not three liters. Like, too many people 
dropped out. And I mean, some of it is really serious, man. There's one guy, he's, I, I don't know if he's out of ICU yet or not, but he got heat stroke and yeah. went and had in a coma and kidney yeah. failure and whole freaking nine. And he was in the, the ICU in Bangkok. Jeez, uh, yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen, you know, uh, some time in Thailand, obviously not uh, as much as you, but I've been there over the years on uh, port calls and man it's it's oppressive like the heat is oppressive um mm -hmm. and so I, you know i think about you said you know in march and april um i wouldn't even want to run a 5k <laughs> entirely much less a 100k man um, yeah yeah you know just because it, it is just that humid and, and and hot right i mean it reminds me of louisiana honestly maybe even a, a little mm -hmm. more though so um yeah, man. So uh, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I know that you you've got um, um <laughs> this morning. You said you've got a meditation practice that you've got to go to, right? Yeah, yeah, in about another hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. but with that, so I know that I kind of want to talk about that, right? So mm -hmm. I know that uh, mindfulness and meditation are a big part of what you do to to maintain your um, resilience and your your uh, mental toughness. But I guess. My question, we never really talked about this, is is that something that comes from your, uh, you know, your Buddhist beliefs or did you find the meditation and mindfulness stuff before Buddhism? Like which one was, it? you know, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, chicken and the egg type thing. Yeah. So, I mean, when I look back in my history, the first time that I was ever really exposed to any type of mindfulness meditation practice, believe it or not, was in boot camp, <laughs> 1997. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So my RDC, uh, who was a, a Bosa mate chief, was mm. big into powerlifting, mm. and he was and and with that, and maybe that went along with that, but I think it contributed to his like he was um, he would psych himself up for shit, you know, and he would do like these mental visualization exercises. So we were in the recruit Olympics, <laughs> and it was the last event, dude. And uh, and I'm just I'm, I'm like five foot six, 140 pounds soaking wet when I'm in boot camp, right? And I, somehow or another, I convinced these big, these big, uh, uh, you know, corn-fed dudes that I need to be on the tug of war team. They didn't think so, but I was like, "No, you want me on there, dude, right?" <laughs> so I got on the team for tug of war, final event, right? <clears throat> and uh, my my recruit division commander, Boats, is like, "Everybody lay down! Everybody lay down!" He made us all lay on our backs, and so I close your eyes, and now concentrate on your breathing. And we just concentrate on our breathing. He's like, now, now visualize it. Visualize us getting up off this floor. Visualize yourself holding on to that rope. Visualize yourself pulling in unison. Boom, boom, boom. And so on and so forth. And he walked us through this whole visualization and meditation exercise. And then it was like, all right, game time. Let's go. And we hopped up, dude. We grabbed that rope. And it fucking went just about how I imagined it in my head. And we won the Recruit Olympics. Yeah. So like that to me was like my first exposure to, to mindfulness meditation. Then we don't normally think of it as meditation, but you know, about six months later, I'm on a gun range in Port Wyneme, and I remember the, the instructors are telling me, "Concentrate on your sight. See your sight rise. See your sight fall with your breath. And now squeeze the trigger slowly. Boom!" And I'm like, "Fucking rounds on target." I was like, "God damn!" And to me, like, I remember, you know, that was. That was cool to me, and I remember thinking like how relaxing it was, <laughs> and uh, to, to shoot like that. And it's like knowing what I know now, I know why that was the way it was. Um, 
And now years down the road, I'm, I'm introduced to like breath practice with Navy SEALs. And again, I'm at a shooting school. They talk to me about um, box breathing, which is four seconds in, hold for four seconds, four seconds out, hold for four seconds. And that's a way to downregulate your nervous system, go from your sympathetic nervous system to your parasympathetic nervous system to go from flight and flight to rest and digest and to get you down to a baseline. And uh, it works through stimulating what's called the vagus nerve. So I remember they sent us through this obstacle course. This this is so cool. They're like they sent us through this long ass obstacle course down in Mississippi, man. And it was hot as shit. And you're doing it in body armor, and you're fucking just it's hot, and you're dying, man. You're just right. dying. And you get to the end of the obstacle course, and they give you your a nine millimeter pistol, and they give you one bullet, and they say, "Here you go." Head plate, 25 meters down the range here. Take this one bullet, load it into your 9mm pistol, knock that head plate down. You're good, man. Go into the air conditioning, have some ice cream, fucking cool cool soda or something, right? Miss? Go through the old course again until oh, you get man. it. I was like, holy fuck. So... I realized, yes, yeah, so I realized at that time that this is the time to do that breathing exercise they taught me about before I take that shot. And I did. I sat on the breathing, I sat on the, I sat on the line, did some of that breathing exercise, down regulated, and then pink, first shot. I have to fuck head plate down. I was like, thank God, because I do not want to go to that old course again. <laughs> yeah. And now there's like a, um, few more years down the road and i'm in a uh, couples counseling session with a licensed clinical social worker and somehow it goes from like a conversation about the communications problem between my wife and i and how i may be having a post-traumatic stress injury <laughs> and, she, and at the end of this conversation this session she slides this pamphlet across the desk and it's a thing called mindfulness for veterans she's like you might want to check this out okay so at the time i was that was probably like 2014 2015 it was 2015 so um and i had been in recovery for a while with alcohol use disorder and i had been in 12 steps and in 12 steps you know they talk about you know that we 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 do prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with the power greater in ourselves yeah. and uh but i didn't have the best introduction to meditation with 12 steps but uh, so i but i got a really good introduction when i went to mindfulness for veterans <clears throat> and uh, it was run by an old hippie out of Ojai, California, and there was a bunch of uh, Vietnam vets there, Korean War vets, some OIF vets, and OEF vets, and um, I remember <clears throat> the first time I went, man, like, there was no, like, dipping your toe in, like, oh, new guy's here, we're going to do a five-minute meditation for the new guy. No, it was, like, fucking full-court press. We did a 45-minute long meditation the first time I went. <laughs> wow. I was like, holy cow! But I remember driving home that night, man, and thinking, like, dude, I've never this been this relaxed in my life. Like, it felt like, like, the way I describe my, my, my PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, or post-traumatic stress disorder, however you want to say it, is, like, um, someone went in my brain at one point and just flipped the switch on, and I couldn't fucking flip it off. Yeah. So that night, at least the switch got toggled down slightly <laughs> after yeah, yeah, that yeah. session, yeah, but it still wasn't flipped that. off. Yeah, just a little, little dimmer down, you know, just a little, and it was just, it was temporary, and it required me to to continue, and that's what I did, man. So I just continued. I I went on an deployment shortly after, going to Mindfulness for Veterans for a few months, and I went on deployment. I downloaded an app, and when I got on deployment, I was, uh, 
I was snooping around the storage closets and shit, you know, fucking rooting around trying to find some good shit that the last people left in the barracks, and I found a meditation cushion. And I was like, hmm, seems like a sign from, from somebody that maybe I should keep going with this. So brought that meditation cushion back to my barracks room and downloaded an app, and it's been history ever since then, man. I just continued on, and now it's just part of my life. I mean, it's like what I do. I like brushing my teeth like before i even came i came on this call i did a, a 20 minute meditation and right. uh I'll, every morning rain or shine I, I meditate every morning and i and i try to throw one in every night too and and now i'm uh, to the point where i'm teaching meditations and i'm leading meditations and i i did some of that in the sawa and i continue to do that with this nonprofit here consequence of habit i'm the meditation and mindfulness advisor for them and uh i'm moving into uh cognitive fitness coaching too with another company to be announced (laughs) that involves meditation and it's just one of those things man it's like it literally will change the brain for the better it will change the structure of your brain so um you know there's studies out there the only ones i always point out a lot is a study by sarah lazar where where she looked at where she was she's a um neuroscientist she was looking for um she was training for a marathon she got injured and then her doctor suggested well maybe you should try yoga and she went to yoga and the yoga the yoga instructor was making all these crazy these crazy claims of how this was going to make you more relaxed make you a better person make you more empathetic and and reduce your stress levels and all that she was like "Mm, i don't know about all that but okay i'll do these stretches and then uh sure enough she started feeling it she started feeling the effects of of doing yoga and, and doing the the you know the the meditation that goes along with yoga of the breath and the body and you know and then as a good neuroscientist she had to figure out why like why is this happening so she studied some longtime meditators and she came she said well look at their their brains are different like um as we age our naturally our prefrontal cortex shrinks and um also sh- chronic stress shrinks it even more and in these long time meditators the the cortical thickness of their prefrontal cortex was like they were 50 years old their their p their prefrontal cortex was that of like a 25 year old she's like well that's interesting wow. yeah and then also in the backs of our brains we got this thing called the amygdala right and the amygdala is like an alarm bell for the for the brain well in the in these long time meditators their amygdalas were were smaller and then also uh there's a thing called the priorial junction, which is uh, in our brain. It helps with our connection with each other and our, our um, limbic resonance and our and how we empathize and connect with each other. And that was enlarged too in these long-time meditators. So then people made the argument of like, okay, well, there are long-time left meditators. Maybe it's their diet. Maybe it's something else that they're doing that's making their brains change like this. So she goes, okay, fair enough. Let me take regular people from around the area and let's do a study and let's do a study of people that go through an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course and people that are a control group that don't do anything and sure enough they saw changes in the brain in as little as eight weeks where the prefrontal cortex begins to thicken the amygdala begins to shrink and and other things happen in the brain that i can't Holy quite cow, man that's that's amazing yeah. it is amazing <laughs> and the coolest thing is like it's the actual it's the it's the exact opposite of what happens to the brain under chronic stress. So under chronic stress, your prefrontal cortex shrinks and your amygdala enlarges. Mm. So now, like, I can't I can't think clearly, I can't remember shit, and I'm super reactive to everything. I'm turned on all the time, right? Yeah, because my because the amygdala is, is actually enlarged. Um, yeah, and 
and because with stress, especially in, 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 in human beings, I think in particular, stress is one of those things where like I don't just get stressed and then you take away the stress and the stress goes away. I get stressed and then you take away the stress and then the, the damage remains, right? right? So like we're like the only species that has the luxury of like making ourselves fucking physically sick from our thoughts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like the squirrel is not out there like and thinking about the economy right now, right? <laughs> Like the fucking lion is not in the woods thinking about COVID nineteen and shit. Nope. You know they don't. Have, no, their fucking concerns are like very in the present, right here, right now. But we have this thing in our brains that, um, you know, well, it's called the default mode network. I fucking right. study this shit. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. This is good stuff, though. I almost feel like we could probably do a whole episode. And I know you do some okay. stuff, like you said, with uh, with consequence of habit. I, Offline, we can talk about what the next venture is because I'm curious, of course, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. So, but do tell us about consequence of habit if you don't mind, because I follow it and, and I listen to some of the podcasts and I see uh, some of the like daily kind of affirmation, you know, memes or yeah, posts, yeah, money. Like uh, when I wake up in the morning, I'm scrolling through. Like some of those really hit hard for the day. Like you know what, man, let's go. You know, so uh, can you talk I about appreciate that, brother? That? Yeah, so Consequence of Habit um, <clears throat> was started by a guy named J.T. Frank. And um, J.T. Frank is a uh, former Air Force guy. He's now a um, uh, first responder, um, federal employee, let's say that, um, for his day job. And then <clears throat> he <clears throat> he had a problem with uh, alcohol use disorder. <clears throat> so he, he had given up drinking about, I think he's on three years now. And he thought to himself, you know, hey, this giving up this habit, if it if it made X, Y, and Z changes in my life, like just the power of that habit of, of giving that up and changing that one thing has had these reverberating effects throughout my life. Like, so we got really interested in habits and, and, and the study of habits and how we can how we change our bad habits and how we can instill good habits and, and what it's gonna do for us over time. So the mission statement of, of Consequence of Habit is that we're empowering individuals and communities uh, by bringing awareness to the power of habits have on our mental health, our success, and the environment too. So, like, we're into sustainability, we're into all that. So, it's uh, again, it started as like <clears throat> this personal journey with JT, and he had a podcast, and he's got a, a great voice for podcasts. If you ever listen to podcasts, and he's got these phenomenal guests on. He has these guests on that, for the most part, a lot of them have touched both ends of the spectrum of the habit spectrum. They come from fucking being addicts, alcoholics, overeaters, whatever it may be, and now they've changed that, and you know you can see their lives and where they're going. Right. And then he's got on like explorers, and he's got on you know uh, bicyclists like uh, Greg Lamond, you know, like wow. pretty big names, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I got involved. I'm like the thing that wouldn't leave. I'm like the dude that you invite over your house and you're like, hey, it's getting kind of late. <laughs> Fucking want to wrap it up here. And I'm like, do you have any more vinyl we could check out? You know? <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I was uh, – I was guest 50 on the podcast, and then I just never fucking left, man. I was like, you know, I'm really digging what you got going on here. And uh, he turned, he was turned into a nonprofit, and you got a board of directors that are amazing, you know, and, and he has experts in all areas of, you know, sustainability, uh, addiction, mental health, 
you know, he's got me with the mindfulness and the meditation and uh, my side job too, my side hustle in that is I'm the marketing guy too. So all those little inspirational things you see, I create those. Oh, there you go, man. I knew I, I, knew I liked it for some reason. Yeah, and sometimes I reply, like I reply, I replied back to one of your comments and didn't realize I was replying back as consequence of habit. I thought I was Chris Moore, so <laughs> I was like, I was, and I sent, and I sent it. I was like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, man. So, um, but yeah. So anyhow, um, so now you know it's turned into a nonprofit, and we've got some great people that that supported us. With uh, I got to send this out to Athletic Brewing. And the Patriot Fund, who both like came out and, and gave us a bunch of money to, to do good with, and we are making it happen. So we're putting on free events. Uh, we got a mindfulness and movement workshop coming April 4th. So if you're in uh, Delaware around the Dover area um, for, for active duty, veteran, first responder, totally free show up it's going to be led by a retired navy seal commander named john mccaskill who's complete badass in the mindfulness space and also a retired marine named dr Teresa larson who is a phenomenal um physical therapist and movement uh expert and she's just yeah they're they're top of their field man and they are coming out yeah they are flying into delaware and they are doing a a workshop for us and it's completely free of charge and uh i'm not gonna ruin the surprise but if you show up and you register and you just go to consequence dot and go to events and register and show up you will get some free goodies and you'll also get some really good mindfulness and uh, movement training that will serve you well so we're doing that um we do some plogging events which is uh picking up trash as you're jogging and uh we're and we're starting to have monthly meetings so we have a a meeting coming up on the well heck it's coming up real soon uh i think it's monday yeah monday night east coast time and again we're, we're going out and we're and we're finding experts in the field to to come on and present uh this next one is uh, being presented is, is yoga. So we got a, a yogi who's actually uh, active duty Air Force deployed right now, and wow. he's going to come on and and do a, do a lecture, and then we're going to open up the floor for discussion in a Zoom call. So we're just we're trying to to breed connection, man, through uh, purpose and and self imposed challenges, you know. And that's yeah. So it's cool, man. I I, yeah. I dig it. Consequences of having it. Man. I love it. I, I think that there's uh, there's a lot more so than I remember. Um, it seems like there's a lot of people kind of in this space right now, which is um, not one of competition. It's one of elevation, right? So mm-hmm. I talk about it on some of my other podcasts that there's several people that have podcasts. They're probably similar to this one, um, mm-hmm. but not quite, right? And and so um, none of us, we talk all the time, and none of us feel like we're in competition rather that our podcasts are complimentary and that mm-hmm. we're actually kind of elevating each other, right? And, and I think consequence of habit for, for active duty and veteran and really anybody, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be military, um, no, right? Uh, you know, but I think that those of us uh, in the military and those of us that are, are veterans are maybe uh, feel some obligation and responsibility to try to help not just you know, the active duty and, and veteran population, mm-hmm. but everybody knowing kind of what we know and, and given our experience kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. I mean, for, for people, yeah. So it's like for, for active duty and veterans, you know, I look at it as like, I'm trying to like 
help them out by sending the elevator back down, you know, or whatever to, to try to help people out of the, their holes they're in. But yeah, man, like everybody needs it right now. Like it's no freaking mystery that the world has gone through massive trauma and continues right. to go through trauma with the pandemic and now the war in Ukraine. And like, it's like a fucking rough world. Right. And not to mention climate change or anything else. So <clears throat> from that, it's like, I think who better to lead the charge than, than veterans and first responders, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm all about it, dude. And like you yeah. said, it's not a competition at all. Like I, I, I support people 100. If you're doing good out there, doing good in the world, I support you 110% with absolutely no, you know, no expectation of being paid back or anything like that. Like right. I just support what I see is good, man. And there's yeah. there's like so much and just and trying to focus on that, you know, trying to take in the good, man. Because again, back to this freaking mind, right? Yeah. I got this negativity bias. I got a brain that wants to keep me safe, so. The bad shit tends to be like Velcro, but the good stuff's like Teflon. So we gotta like, I gotta really gotta concentrate on like taking in the goods, you know, taking Absolutely. in what's good in the world. Because yeah. uh, that negativity is not—that's not gonna be hard to find, you know. My my brain will bead right in on that stuff. <laughs> it's easy, right? Yeah, it's the, it's the easy. easy button. It's uh, it, it it's a distraction. It's entertaining. It's uh, and it, it and I think that in some respects, you know, like we talked about, because of our you know, um, our genetic makeup, we're kind of drawn toward uh, that thing that is, is negative, right? Um, Absolutely. And, and we just have to be conscious of that. Like, I see what you're trying to do there. I'm not, no, I'm not falling for it. I'm not going down that path. Uh, right. Instead, I'm going to find this positive thing and, and, uh, and, and go down that road, right? Um, right, right. It, it takes, it takes like mental rehearsal <clears throat> to do that, you know? It's, it's the evolution of the brain, man. Like when you're, when you're, when you were, uh, you know, homo sapien out there in the bushes and shit, it was more important for you to fucking miss the stick than it was to get the carrot. Yeah. So that's why your brains are so like in tune to negativity because right. you fucking don't miss one stick game over, but you right. can miss some carrots. That's so right. that's why like I could have the best day in the fucking world. Right. But on the way home from work, some asshole cut me off in traffic. What do you think I'm going to talk about when I get home? Yeah. I'm going to tell you about what a great day it was. Now I want to tell you about this asshole who cut me off in traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's negativity bias of the brain. It's natural. Like the brain, it doesn't, for the most part, it doesn't want me happy. It wants me safe. Yeah. So I have right. to, so I don't want to say I have to hack it or something or use these shortcuts, but I just have to be aware of that stuff and, right. and do things that I know are, are good for my mental health. Well, all right, Chris, I think, um, I think we can find a, a stopping point there, man. Uh, I usually judge it by like when I need to pee. If I need to pee, then it's probably about time to, to call it quits. <laughs> nice. So uh, listen, dude, uh, fantastic having you on. And, and more than anything, it's just good seeing you again, brother. I love you. I miss you around here in Masawa. Uh, let's let's make this a, a regular thing uh, if for no other reason. Yeah. To keep in touch and, and that we can check in on each other and make sure we're doing good uh super yeah. proud of you man i'm proud to know you i've told you that multiple times but i mean it like um you know you're my fucking hero dude so uh just to keep going dude and um and if you ever need anything you know where i'm at all right thanks brother i appreciate it i love you too man thanks for having me on yeah we'll talk to you later